0: Stand before God mm-hmm. and we go, God, why? You know, to a degree we understand that war can be a consequence of man's actions, but when we see something that's natural, we think, God, why? God, why? Mm-hmm. And all we can do is come to him and say, God, we don't understand, but we just want to lift those people before you, so let's just do that. You bring your own prayers to God. Yes, Speak no. them out. Father, no. We just lift these people to you today who've lost loved ones, people who are living out in the streets in the cold. They've lost their homes, they've lost their families, they've lost oh, for everything. Father, we lift before you those who've been climbing over wreckage, trying to find people. We thank you for the some of the miraculous escapes that we have seen, and we thank you for those people. Father, we pray for your, your compassion, your mercy, your love, your kindness to be shown to those people, we think, especially those in Syria who were already in a really bad situation because of man's bad doing. Father, we pray for organisations, relief organisations who are on the ground trying to make sense of this, trying to organise the unorganisable. That's a word. Father, we lift them before you today. And we pray, Father, that your mercy and your kindness will be shown we don't understand it, God. We're not going to pretend to or try and explain it. But, God, we ask that you will be gracious to these people and that you will provide miracles for them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please take this seats today. I'll just tell you a few things that are going on in the church. and. Um, if you're probably aware that we're an Elim Church, and uh, Elim is a national charity, and Elim, um sorry do two things at its as <coughs> um, a national charity, um, also <coughs> extend around the world, and um, they're linking up with Samaritans' purse to support some of the relief effort in um, Turkey and around the area. Uh, if you're here at Christmas, you know we've done shoeboxes and some items, supposed to take those out for gifts to Um And they're also on the front line in, in Ukraine as well. And if any of you would like to donate towards the, the, that appeal that you were doing, if you want to next week bring in an envelope and put on the front of Turkey or just something that identifies it as business to go towards the appeal. Or if you want to pay directly to the church, we will forward it on. Um, the bag details are in the February morning. and As long as you put a reference to P or a e or, e or, or something, so we can identify it, and then we will pass that on to Elon and they can pass it on to someone else's purse. So if that would help you, I realise there's many organisations doing good work and you know that have done that, that's absolutely fine. But if you want to take advantage of that, then please do. So, so this week on... Um, Wednesday, people went to as One last night, which was 700 people packed into the church in New Zealand. There was other, other places around the country, I think there about eight different places. Um, Rob went and survived the evening, so that, that was good. Oh, uh, Rachel uh, and Taffy. Sorry. And Taffy. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but Taffy, you're down with the kids, aren't you, so. <laughs> you know, whereas Rob, before, Rob thought he'd taken his earplugs and then realised he'd forgotten. Him. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, he had to, he had to battle through, but he did, and we really appreciate that, um, so that the young people can be under the sun of the gospel. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Wednesday, yeah, Wednesday morning, we have connect group at 10.30 here. Thursday, we're running warm space again, 10. Thirty to, so mm. um, We're coming towards the end of warm space. We're due to finish at the end of Feb, which I think is the following Thursday. We're having some thoughts about do we continue, maybe in a smaller format, um, maybe a coffee morning for a couple of hours in the morning. So we're still thinking about that. We'll let you know when we make a decision. Thursday evening, we're running Alpha, and we're on week four. Which oh, is on the mm. But still, if you want to join, it's not too late. And the final thing to say is next Sunday we begin a um, series between us and the location in Sully Oak, forty days with Jesus. So it's a forty-day devotional, and the Sunday sermons will also oh, yeah. uh, fit in with that. Um, if you want one of the devotionals, they're five pounds, and they're in the available in the foyer. If you, if five pounds is too much, please say because we'll happily give one to you so that you can take part in that. So that's used nearly all my voice. going to go short circle today. <laughs> right, so it's time for Encounter Kids and Encounter Youth oh. to head on We'll say there's some very lovely white dresses going on this uh, lovely, uh, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, if you're Encounter Youth, Encounter Kids. Oh, I think it's a bit... I wish you were going, This week I want to talk to you about quite a difficult subject. As if today wasn't hard enough. <laughs> 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 It's not a subject that I talk about very often. It's the first time I've been leader of this church now for 18 months, and it's the first time I've talked really about this subject. And it's not something that I talk about very often. And it's something that impacts all of us. And it's something that will create many different emotions inside of us when I tell you what it is. It will impact us all differently. And it's a subject we might not even all agree on. You're worried now, not <laughs> I'm worried. Just saying. <laughs> but today I want to talk about money and giving. <laughs> Buckle up. Okay, probably, It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so why is money and giving potentially such a difficult subject to talk about in church? And here's some suggestions. You might think... Well, my money is none of the church's business, thank you very much. Why would anyone in church have anything to say about money? That would be relevant to me. The second thing is, of course, when we talk about money, there's a potential for manipulation and abuse. And we don't want that in the church, definitely. So maybe it's better for us to just stay away from that sort. Thirdly, another reason why it might be difficult is because we're all in different situations. It's a complicated subject. Some of you might find that you get to the end of the month and you've got money left. Some of you may find that the month runs out, that the money runs out way before the month does. Or the fortnight or the week or however you get your money. So you might have some other reasons why you think, no, we shouldn't really talk about money in church. Let's just sweep that one under the carpet and forget about it. Why should we then talk about money in church? Well, first of all, Jesus talked a lot about money. And if Jesus thought it was important to talk about, then we can't really avoid it, can we? Secondly, everything that we have, including our money, whether we have a lot or whether we only have a little, it all comes originally from God, and it's our responsibility to steward what God gives us. Mm -hmm. And so it's good to talk about how do we do that, how do we steward our resources, including our money. And thirdly, there is great blessing in generosity, and in getting our financial stewardship right. And we don't want to miss out on that blessing because we're too afraid to talk about the subject. So I think we'll talk about it. But I do want to say, you know, we are all in different places financially. Some will be struggling, particularly at the moment with all the prices going up. You can't believe it. You're going as and you think, I'm sure that was 30p last week. It's 45 now. What's happening You know, some will be struggling, some will be living in abundance, some will be somewhere in between. And what I'd suggest is please try and listen to the whole talk. Some parts will apply to different people in different ways, but please see the whole picture. Some of the things I say today you may not agree with. That's okay. I'm going to talk about how we interpret the Bible, but ultimately how you steward and handle your money. Is between you and God. It's not a judgment from me or from anyone else in the church. And there definitely should never be any coercion or manipulation. So what are some of the things that the Bible says about money? So a couple of weeks ago when we were at that family all-age service, you know that we started to look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' big sermons where he talks about lots of ways in which we, we work out our lives and we live well. And a verse that comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which um, is Matthew six twenty four. it says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So straight away, Jesus is showing us that there's a big problem with money. Money... Can become a master. Any of you who have ever struggled financially will know that in that position, money can be just such a master, sort of waiting to be, you know, served and done to. And a master is a number one thing in your life. And you can't have two number ones. If money is number one, then the highest that God can be is number two. And the first commandment God ever gives is to have no other gods before me. And Jesus reiterates it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it is possible for money to become a God, little G, in your life. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, that's just rich people. You know, you've seen them driving their flashy sports cars around. You know, that's just for them. But money and the love of money, you know, that can get under anybody's skin, no matter how much or how little you have. And if we get into a place where money is number one, then Jesus isn't number one. It's that simple, but it's that serious. <clears throat> so did Jesus say anything else? Well, Matthew nineteen twenty three to 26, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who can be saved then? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Have you ever met a camel in real life? Yeah? At the zoo, maybe. <laughs> I was thinking about this week. And I don't I remember actually ever meeting a camel in real life. Maybe I've been to zoos. So perhaps I have Perhaps I've just forgotten. But a camel is a great big gawky animal, isn't it? They look a bit sort of, you know, sort of. I don't know. A great big thing, not not a small thing. I've tried to thread a needle many times, and. Uh, as you know, you get to that stage where your eyesight starts to go big and you're like, know, I'm sure you still do this okay. now. I need my glasses or a magnifying glass. So this idea of getting the camel through the eye of a needle. you might need a very big blender, which is a really gross idea, isn't it? You know. Let's blend the camel into a cold. <laughs> push it through what a horrible thoughts you might have heard someone say back in the old Jerusalem there used to be a small gate in the wall next to the main gate it was a tiny gate and they called it the eye of the needle gate and what it was for was that at the end of the day when they closed the main gates if anyone still needed to come in and out the city they could go through this eye of the Needle Gate. And if the camels came and they need to go through, they had to unload all the stuff off the back of the camel. And the camel had to bend down really low and squish its way through you know, the the needle gate. So they said, well, so what Jesus is saying is that, you know, in order for a rich person to go through, it's not saying you've got to blend it into a, a pulp, and, you know. What he's saying is that you need to take off all of those riches and humble yourself and then you'll get through. The only problem is scholars don't think there's any evidence that there ever was an eye of the needle gate. And this story is mentioned in, in more than one of the Gospels, and there's no sense that the eye of the needle is talking about a. Like, we would use capital letters, wouldn't we, for a gate? You'd be like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, we castle WCs and capital letters. There's no kind of evidence that. You know the, the disciples, when they reported what Jesus said, reported it as this was a this was a place. What it looks like is what Jesus was talking about was a needle. That you have to, yeah. So we're back to the blender. <laughs> <laughs> so you think, oh, so this what Jesus is saying is is he's exaggerating the whole thing, and he's saying it's so difficult, it's so difficult, it's it's as near to impossible. As you're going to get. Fortunately, with God, all things are possible. But it's hard. What He's showing is how difficult this whole money thing can be in our lives, how much sway, how much power it can have over us. You might be thinking, well, I'm not rich, so that's okay, I'm all right. But riches is relative. Did you know that 20% of people in the world, one in five, don't have a proper toilet? <coughs> that is a really high number. Mm. Did you know that one in 10, 10% don't have clear, warm, clean water close to home? Now, that's not 10% don't have a tap in their kitchen that you can turn on and water comes. That's 10% don't even have a water supply anywhere near where they live. They have to walk a long way or, or drink dirty stuff. <coughs> of the world live on less than £1.66 a day. That's not £1.66 after you've paid your rent and your food and your bills. That's £1.66. That's what you've got to live for the day. Again, 20% live on less than £4.55. Again, not what's left over after, but that's it £4.55. Now I'm not saying there aren't people in the UK who are struggling for money and I'm not saying those straws are not real, because they are. And in many ways it can be more difficult to live with very small amounts in a relatively rich country than it is in a poorer one. But when we think about some of these statistics, you know, globally we are at the richer end of the spectrum because just simply on living here, And so when Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, and he's using this analogy of trying to push this poor old camel through this tiny little hole, you know, why is it so difficult? Because money is a god. Money is a rival. You know, we've just sung a song which I deliberately asked not to sing. And it says, you have no rival, you have no equal. And in one sense, what the song is saying is there is nothing, there is no one that will rival God. There is nobody of nothing that can equal God. But in another sense, to sing there is no rival is actually wrong. I Don't write the song. You know, it's a good song and we know what it means. But there are rivals. Money is a huge rival in our lives ahead of God. So what else does the Bible say? Oh, it's hard so far, isn't it? Here are some of the Apostle Paul's words to a young church leader called Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, 7-10 to says this, We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped into many foolish and harmful desires. That plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm sorry, I'm sure even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard that verse that says, The love of money is the root of all evil. Note it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. Money isn't bad the love of money. <coughs> and you can see sometimes, can't you, what money sometimes does to people. I know even in my own family, my extended family, a few years ago there was one of the families within the family who were expecting to get a certain amount from a will. They'd been told they'd been left a certain amount of money each. And time went on and time went on eventually the person who had that will passed away they thought was, with the passage of time, that amount of money they were going to get left was going to go up. And it didn't. The amount of money they got left in the will was the amount that they were told 20 years earlier or whatever was what they were going to be left. And the money that, the other money this person had, had left got left to somebody else. And sadly, those people don't speak to anybody in the family anymore because of their yeah. money. Because they felt that they had an entire month, it didn't turn out the way they wanted. And it's just divided their family. People don't speak to each other. Money has power and it changes people, and not in a good way. And Paul's final warning to Timothy is that some people who are so eager for money wander away from God, and he says, pierce themselves with many griefs. Which doesn't sound good, does it? It does not sound very nice. But the thing is, it can be a gradual slide. No one wakes up when the day before they were a generous person who's like, you know, God's given me all this and this is what I'm going to share. And then they wake up the next morning and go, no, it's all mine. It's a gradual slide. So how can we tell if money is becoming a God, it's becoming too important in our lives? And This, of course, will be different for each one of us. So I'm going to suggest some questions we can ask ourselves, but it will be different. So what we have to do is we have to take this away ourselves and prayerfully consider it, look at it, and ask God to speak to us. So some of these questions, (laughs) the answer might indicate if money is your God. Not necessarily, but it might. So the first one, you know, do we spend too much? Do we get to that point where we're like, I've oh, just got to go get the shops and I've got to just walk around the shops and, oh, fancy that. Like, you know, just to get that buzz, you know, the retail therapy. Or maybe we see someone has something that we don't have and we're like, oh, I like that. Now, that's always wrong. You might see someone who buys themselves a really useful gadget and you think, you know what, that would really, really help me. I think this has been a little bit like this with the air fryer in the last 12 months. <laughs> you know? So I haven't got one, I have to say. I haven't bought one. But I know a lot of people who have gone, you know what, they seem a really good idea. I'm going to go and get myself an air fryer. And that's not necessarily bad because they're very economical and they work really well. And if I had space in my kitchen, I might buy one. But, you know, that's not... It's not necessarily wrong, but if, if we see someone who's got something and we're like, I've got to put myself into debt or I've got to work harder, you know, I've got to get myself, you know, a better car than my neighbour or a better fryer than my neighbour, you know, not just a basic, you know, you know what I'm saying. It can be an indication that money is a little bit of a god. Are we discontent with what we have or are we grateful You know those verses talked about, we don't bring anything into the world when we're born. We come with nothing. And one day we will all leave the world and guess what we take with us? Absolutely nothing. So everything that we have in between then and in between there is just what God graciously gives and allows each one of us to steward. We talk about ownership, but actually all it is is stewardship. You know, we our house that me and Alistair live in is um, we've had a mortgage and you know, we pay for it. So technically we are homeowners. If you have to tick that thing on a form, you know, then yes we're homeowners. But really we're stewards. We're stewards <coughs> of it. Not really ours, because a hundred years from now you know, there was gonna be paying us rent then. So we take nothing, we bring nothing into the world and we we take nothing away. So everything that we have is what God has graciously allowed us to have. Are we content with it? Or is that constant sort of more, more going on? Do we worry and get anxious about money? You may think, well, that's only if you haven't got very much. But actually, anxiety over money can happen however much or little you have. And anxiety over money may mean that we're putting our faith in money rather than God, which is a sign that maybe money has taken that that place. And I'm not standing here today as a pastor who's got this all sorted out. I mean, we went through a very difficult time financially, which is over 10 years ago now and Alistair lost his job. And I was very anxious about money for quite a while. You know, I'll be honest about that. Rather than going, okay, God, there was moments where I'm like, no, God's got it. And then other moments, I'm like, you know. <laughs> another question then, are we generous? Generosity isn't just for rich people. There are ways in which all of us can be generous. So so these questions then, do we spend too much?
1: Are we content
0: with what we have? Do we worry and get anxious? Are we generous? So how can we make this more positive? <laughs> And live with the right attitude towards God and money. I think generosity is one of the real keys to this. Because as I say, money is not bad. Money itself can do an incredible amount of good. Talked about the earthquake earlier and already millions of pounds has been donated and it will do an incredible amount of good. And I believe generosity is a powerful God-given way of keeping money in the right perspective. And generosity is something anybody can do. Mark 12, 41 to 44, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others because they gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. What does the widow's story tell us? It tells us that God doesn't count in the same way that we count. We would look at a few copper coins and we'd go, Wow, you to do that. That's small, that's hardly worth anything. And yet Jesus said that that gift was the largest of all because Jesus is measuring on a different scale because the kingdom of God is, is an upside-down kingdom. We think things a certain way. Jesus says, no, no, no. And, and the fact that he, he calls his disciples to him, it's like, hey, guys, come here, let me show you something. There's a kingdom principle here. He calls them to him and he says, look, look, she just put in a few coins And you might think that's small, but actually I'm saying that's the biggest offering today, out of everybody. A few weeks ago I spoke about serving and I talked about how we have unequal gifts, but our sacrifice level can be equal. You see, if someone has five pounds to their name and they give away a pound to someone in need, that's 20%. I think that's generous someone with thousands in their bank account gives a pound to someone, I might think, well, that's a bit stingy, really. Shouldn't judge, but <laughs> I just did You see, generosity isn't measured in numbers. And the story also tells us that we mustn't judge what someone gives because we don't know the backstory. story. And I hope you begin to see, it not about how much money you have or don't have. How we treat money and how we see generosity applies to all of us. So what does the Bible say about giving? Well, it says a lot. And I'm not going to cover it all today. But it does say that as disciples of Jesus, and some of you today might say, well, that's not me, I'm not in that category, it's fine. But as disciples of Jesus, we should be givers. The Old Testament in Proverbs 3, verse 9 to 10, it says, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. <coughs> in the early church, in the New Testament, one of the things that marked out the early disciples was their giving and their generosity. In Acts 2, 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need In James 1.17 it says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows that's not talking specifically about money but it reminds us everything we have is a gift from God yes we might have earned it through our work if, that's, if you're fit and able to do that but where does that come from Where does the health and the strength come from to enable us to work? It's all God's gift. So if we're to be givers then, how do we decide what to give and who to give it to? We decide that for ourselves. This is not about coercion or manipulation. I just want to share some thoughts from the Bible, but you have to respond yourself and in your own time. In Malachi 3, verse 8, this is Old Testament. This is a a prophet, Prophet Malachi, who is speaking the heart of God. And he says this to the people. He says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. So Malachi is saying to the people, Hey, you're robbing God because you're not giving him your tithes and offerings. So what is this whole tithe thing? You might have heard this in church, you know, we're going to take up our tithes and offerings. That was back in the day we used to pass the plate around. We don't do that since COVID, but you know, what is this tithe thing? Basically a tithe is mentioned in the Old Testament. People used to give a tenth of their income to God. Abraham gave a tithe right back in Genesis before the law was given and all of that. There's some very complicated verses on tithing and part of the Jewish law in Leviticus, I'm not going to unpack all that today. But we live in the New Covenant, we're New Testament, so what does the New Testament say? Does Jesus mention tithing? Well, Jesus does speak to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew 23, and he says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Just want to point out, please don't bring your mint, dill, and cumin <laughs> to church and put in the offering. That was their income. Different now. But anyway, why is Jesus saying What he's saying is, look, guys, you're following the letter of the law to the nth degree. You tithe. You probably get your dill and your cumin and you put it in a little pile and you weigh it. You weigh out a tenth. And then you go, right, that's that's my gift to God. That's it, done. But their hearts weren't right. Because their attitude for justice, mercy and faithfulness just wasn't happening. Jesus doesn't say, don't bother tithing, just do the other thing. He says you should do the important stuff, the faithfulness, the mercy, the justice, as well. But it's the point is it's about the heart in the New Testament. You see, when we put in rules, when we sort of talk about a rule, a sort of a 10% rule, we can literally, as I say, go, right, okay. This is how much I earn. Ten percent of it is this much. Write the check, and it's it's not a heart thing. It's not a spirit of generosity. It's it's an abiding by a rule, and it's it always takes us to the lowest common denominator. You know, what's the least I can get away with? You know, and it doesn't talk into whether ten percent is generous or not. (coughs) Our focus isn't on generosity. It's about doing just about enough to fulfil some kind of law because we think God will be pleased with us. Generosity isn't like that. Probably my my favourite verses on all of this is in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8. It says this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you, should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That is probably my favourite scripture on giving because it shows the principle that operates in the kingdom of God. First of all, it talks about this sowing and reaping. It's not just a principle in the kingdom of God. It's a principle in life, isn't it? We reap what we sow. You sow a lot. Whatever you're sowing, you'll reap a lot back. You can sow good stuff and you reap good stuff. Equally, you can sow really rubbish, bad stuff, and you'll reap that. If we sow, then we will reap. The problem here is, of course, some people have manipulated that into, well, if you give a certain amount, God will give you back this much. You know, <laughs> you, you give a pound today and God will give you a thousand pound back tomorrow. and That is not what it's saying. In our lives, we've been through times of great financial blessing and times of quite difficult, you know. Seasons come and seasons go. But there is still this underlying principle. You see, when, when we hear some of these people who say, well, if you put £10 in today, we'll you'll give you 1000 tomorrow, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, we don't want any of that. And we don't because it's manipulative and it's coercive and that's not where we're going. Then. But having said that, we don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, well, the Bible doesn't say that when we sow, we will also reap because it does. But it says each one of you should give what you've decided in your hearts. This is, the, I think, your key. You see, tithing isn't bad. Myself and I to tithe to the work of God through the local church. It's not a bad thing. But you see, for some people, to pay a 10% tithe and then have to live on the 90% left, over, would be incredibly difficult. And actually, a tithe might be incredibly generous equally for others, to live on 90% of their income might be easy. And a tithe isn't generous. And they might actually, God might be saying, so and you could give more than that. Do you see what I mean? It's about the heart attitude for God. It's about what God says to you. It's about our own generosity. And only we can look at our own circumstances and decide what that is about. And he says, look, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who's thought about it, prayed about it, asked God to speak to their heart and says, Do you know what, God, I want to give you this, whatever this is. And I'm going to come and I'm going to joyfully give it. I know in some cultures, you know, when, when they have the offering and dances, not the British culture, obviously. <laughs> Because it's like, hey, we want to be cheerful and we want to be joyful because we're bringing our, you know, our offering to God. And when we think about it, if God gives us everything, we're asking ourselves, you know, Mm. how much should I give? Actually, should we be saying how much can we allow to keep? And that's important too because God God gives us our money so that we can look after our families and ourselves. Excuse me. And that's important too you know I, I came across somebody once who said right you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave my job because god can provide all my needs and they did they literally quit their job and expected god to provide what they needed and i'm sure god was thinking oh maybe it wasn't i don't know and, and yes there might be specific people where god specifically does that sometimes people go out on mission quit their job and they, they, you know, God provides for them. But it's got to be a very specific situation. You know, God gives us our our money. He allows us to have our money, mainly for caring for ourselves and our families and having all that we need. It's not a bad thing. But what, what do we give to God? How can we come as cheerful givers? It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all you need, Will abound in every good work. You see, God has promised to supply our needs. This is why we don't need to be anxious about money, although, I've already confessed to you, I've fallen into that trap. But I know that for me and Alistair, through our whole married life, um, which is 35 years this year, <laughs> I am so old in particular. Ever come across people, you think. We've been alive less than one. It's terrible. It feels like just yesterday. But anyway, for the whole of that length of time, you know, and we've been through times of blessing financially and times where it's really difficult. But we've always had this principle of this is what we have decided to give to God, and we're going to give it regularly to him. And as God has blessed us, we've also tried to give beyond that and, and to support other things too. And I'm not sharing that to to Brad, but I'm just wanting to say, hey, God has never let us down. He's always <laughs> provided what we need. I remember back just not long after we, we got married, um, we um, we had an unexpected bill. And we were new to this whole budgeting and working it all out thing. We had this unexpected bill. And I'm like, oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> so we paid the bill, and I had a look in the freezer and in the fridge, and I decided we had enough food to last us for the rest of the month to pay day. We haven't got children at this point, so so we'll be all right. The only thing we didn't have enough of was petrol, and um, to me, to get to work was probably a mile and a half each way. Church was about two to two and a half miles each way, so that was a bit more of a so on a day we we're going to go to work and then go to church in the evening, it was going to be a bit of hard work, but we thought we can live like that for a couple of weeks, that'll be fine, and so uh. And so the next day we got up. And the next day, Alistair was going to college because he used to go to college one day a week at the time. And Alistair's favourite bit about going to college, (coughs) he's not here, he's in there, so I can tell you. Keep it to yourselves. But his favourite thing about going to college was the lasagna at (laughs) lunchtime. Not all he was going to learn and all the, you know, no, college lasagna. And he got up in the morning and he went, I want my colleges, you? I'm like, no, you will have to take sandwiches. I know it. Just screw me. I want my colleges. And I'm like, you oh, can't. He said, "I know what I'm going to do." He said, "We've got a savings account, and there's only about two pound fifty in it." He said, "So I'm going to go downtown at lunchtime, get that, I'm close that account, and get that two pound fifty, and I'm going to go and have my, <laughs> and have my <laughs> and I'm like, you're kidding me. How bad is it to go and be inside and go, Can I close my account when the two pound fifty? But I'm like, hey, okay, you want to do that? I'm not going to be there, so so that's fine. Came home in the evening and he came in rather pleased with himself and handed me a twenty pound note and I thought, Ooh, where have you had that from? I don't need it. What we'd forgotten was um, that a few, probably twelve months or so earlier we'd had a slight statement mortgage to pay for central agencies and the money that we'd to pay for it had sat in the account for quite a long time before the bill came in. And this is back in the day, although we're heading that way again, where interest rates were decent. And when he'd gone to close the account, instead of £2.50, it was £22. <laughs> So he got his car into Zambia, and I got 20 quid to fill the car up. Back then, 20 quid would fill the car up. I know now it would barely cover the bottom of the tank, but back then, it did. And I just thought, how amazing is that, really? Mm. You know, some of you might say, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. Maybe it was, but I like to think God was like, you know what? It's going to kill you to walk all that far every day for two weeks. You know, here have a bit of extra. And you know, I think there lots of stories like that along our Christian life. In fact, as I was preparing this, I kept thinking of more and more and more. And how long should we go? Oh, it's past Really? Okay. I'll tell you one more, one more story of how God really provided for us and our family. Because I want to encourage you that those verses are true. Mm-hmm. Having all that you need, God is able to bless you abundantly. And um. Oh, which story to hell. which story to tell, I think we'll do the car. So just after I had our third baby, or just before, our car was getting a bit like, was it actually going to make it to the hospital? labour? <laughs> um, so we decided to change, to change the car. We didn't have loads of money. And we took on a, a couple of year loan um, to pay for this car. And we had the car, I had the baby. and a couple of months later, we started to realise this car was not as good as we thought it was. Mm-hmm. It looked like the mileage had been tampered with, which you can't do these days, thankfully. but <laughs> back in the day, we, just doing it. we realised it probably been turned back. There was some rust starting to appear mm-hmm. in various places, and we thought, we're going to have to pay for this, and as soon as you pay for it, get rid of it. We're going to have to try and keep it on the road for two more years. And um, I prayed about it and left it. And then someone decided to borrow it. And when I say they decided to borrow it, uh-uh. they didn't ask us. They themselves. <laughs> 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 it was outside church, 1 Thursday evening, while she should practice. Came out. Oh, it's a car gone. They borrowed it to Ram Raider's shop. So. <laughs> 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 Why is that so That's funny? where shop, so <laughs> 24 hours later when we finally got it back, it was a a but, yeah, the night that that happened, a friend rang me and said, how are you doing? And I said, well, we were okay, but someone's nicked off with the car. And they said, I'll ring you back in 10 minutes. And they rang me back in 10 minutes and they <clears> said, my father-in-law can't drive at the moment because he's had an operation and he says you can borrow his, his <laughs> wife's car. And she said, it's a little two-door, but little grey Citroen, but it'll do you a couple of you get sorted. And I was like, oh, thank you. I'm so grateful. You know, sometimes good to be on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. So my husband went off to get the car, and they said, can you just keep it in the garage? And we're like, yeah, i sure. You <laughs> so went to bed, went to sleep, woke up the next morning. Alice had gone to work. And um, I took the kids to school, came back, and then I've got to get shopping. So I go to the garage to open, get this grey two-door Citroen out of the garage to go shopping. And I opened the garage, and in my garage was a brand-new red sports car mm-hmm. with a <laughs> one of those things on the back. Which is Spoiler. Weird. That's the one. And it, it's a bit like, shut the garage door again. I'm like, really? <laughs> I rang my friend, I'm like, it's really weird to tell That gray citrus isn't a gray <laughs> I said, oh, no. She said, that's because... And um, my, my father-in-law's wife, um, my mother-in-law, doesn't like driving the brand new sports car, and um, so she wants to keep her grey Citroen. But he's in he the brand new sports car. I mean, oh my goodness! It was, it was very sticky sometimes, you know. But honestly, I was terrified driving this car, I only turned left for the first few miles. But you know what an amazing provision <laughs> for us at that time. And a couple of weeks later, we were in the middle of sorting out the insurance on the car to be able to get another one. And a knock came on the door, and I went to the door, and there is my friend's father in law. I thought, he's oh, come to see the car, he's come to check. And I went, oh, it's fine, it's all good, it's all great, I haven't scratched it, the kids haven't been sick on it, think it's good. He went, no, 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 no. I am not to check on the car. And he said, I'll come to give you something, and he handed me a check for a thousand pounds. And I was like, no one had ever given me a cheque for pounds before. And I was like, what? And I no, 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 you can't, you can't give me that. You can't. And he said something to me that I won't forget. He said, God has blessed me, and it is my privilege and joy to be able to give to other people and to be generous. So, and I've never really thought about it like that. And it's hard to be a receiver sometimes. You know, because we like to be all self-sufficient. He also said it's a building society cheque, so the money's already got out of my account. So you better join, you better join, cash in. So I said thank you very much and took it. And two weeks after that, we picked up our replacement car, which was so much better than the one we'd lost that it actually went on for seven years <laughs> And then when we finally did sell it, it actually went to someone around the corner and uh, they drove it on again for about another five years. Honestly, <laughs> I slipped over the car. But what a provision from God. Mm. We had a need God That's provided God. for yeah. us. And it is God past, so I'm gonna stop there. But I just want to read those verses again. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Mm. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Mm. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion mm-hmm. or because the pastor has spoken on giving. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will um, abound in every good work. Sometimes it's the season to be on the receiving end. Sometimes it's the season to be on the giving end. But seasons change.
1: And I'm just hoping
0: and praying that today, you know, it's just something that we can think about. And as a church family, sometimes, you know, we can be very like, well, I haven't got any needs. I'm not going to tell anybody because we're embarrassed, you know. Just think about the early church who helped each other out and shared. They only shared because they knew. Everyone kept it to themselves, they wouldn't know. But you know, God is more than able to provide for you, and generosity is such a freeing thing. And please remember, generosity can be tiny amounts. That's not the point. It is such a blessing. Maybe put aside a little bit of time this week to think about your relationship with money. If you're a disciple of Jesus, and ask yourself these questions, do I spend too much? Am I discontent with what I have? Am I anxious about money? Am I generous? And just do some honest, prayerful reflection. And if the Holy Spirit brings something to mind, then maybe there's need for response. Maybe you've already got this nailed down and it's just a reminder, which is great. Generosity isn't measured by numbers. It's a heart issue between you and God. There may be people today who are really struggling financially and Allow yourself to be on the receiving end of someone's generosity at the moment. That's okay. That's what life is about. I have been in that situation. But maybe remember, when the season does change, that God gives you a generous heart Mm. and that you will be able to be generous too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you give us. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, comes from above. And we thank you for it, Father. We thank you for what you so freely give to each one of us. We thank you, God, that you give us brothers and sisters, and at times they are used by you to meet our needs. And we thank you for the times when that has happened to us. And I pray, God, that you will help us as a church to be a generous church. Mm -hmm. We may not have loads, but make us generous, God. Increase our generosity so that we can abound in every good work, and so can our brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. We thank you, God, that we can't outgive you, Mm -hmm. that your kingdom rules don't work the same as the world's rules do. That out in the world it's about getting as much as we can and, and holding it together our own security. We thank you, God, that in your kingdom things are different. In your kingdom, it's upside down, it's topsy-turvy, and we know that if we give, we will reap, shall we say? I pray, Father, pray for anyone here today who is, who is struggling financially, God, that you will meet their needs abundantly, that you will bless them abundantly. And for those of us who perhaps aren't in that situation, God, that you will help us to be generous because we know that actually it's only by your grace and your love and your mercy that we have what we have anyway. Yes. So I would commend, God, this, this money thing to you Father. just pray you'll make us soft-hearted towards your spirit as you speak to each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm